Okay, this is a frog, is it? Yeah. Sounds like a fire alarm, mate. Well, I'm pretty sure it's a frog. It could double as a fire alarm if it doesn't like fire and would call when seeing it. I'm imagining this animal to be quite weird. Oh, interesting. To me, an animal that makes a noise like this... Okay, so I've got two sort of directions of thought here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One, it's going to be like some weird blobby thing that lives underground and it very seldom shows its face on the surface. Yeah. Or it's going to be something with like a really long, thin, hooked face. Like strange... (laughs) You know, like the ones that, you know, the frogs that have the teeth that can bust out of the jaw. Then yeah. they just look, they look like a duck. Yes, I know the ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think because it sounds like a sort of bird, maybe that's why I'm going that way with it. I'm just thinking ahead to our species that we're talking about in the main paper. And it's in, it's a sort of sub-Saharan African species. So maybe that's a link. Yeah, I think it's going to be some kind of rain frog from africa i'm gonna go with a name which i'm creating but you know it could be a species the african rain frog the saharan rain frog i'm afraid you're nowhere near right i'm turning off this call then i've had enough of it what is it (laughs) so this is the call of uh philoderma cordicali cordicale cordicali which is the vietnamese mossy frog or the tonkin bug-eyed frog or the moss bug-eyed frog or the mossy frog they're one I can't get enough of mossy frogs. They're beautiful. So this is a it's a little frog. I think it's only sixty two <sighs> millimeters in length and looks like well it's an adorable adorable sort of big eyed frog, but looks like it's covered in moss. Hence the name, mossy frog. <sighs> I see the link. The link is being popular in captivity here. Oh, I didn't have that link, but that'll work as a segue to the paper, most certainly. I have very little information about these guys, other than they'll curl into a ball when frightened. How big do they get? Only 62 millimetres. Yeah, okay. Because I I was thinking of milk frogs. Milk frogs are the ones which are always bigger than you think. They're actually disgustingly large. Wow, okay, mossy frog. Well, I would never have guessed that that's what they sound like. It's not a sound, right? Honestly, like, yeah. Makes them seem like less appealing pets if they make that sound. Like a weird really haunting flute annoying. or something. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And what is that call? Is that a call? Like, I mean, it's a male calling. Is that advertisement call, do we know? Or is it just sort of indeterminate I don't frog know. shouting? Okay. Cool details click here. <laughs> it was recorded in Germany. That's what I... <laughs> okay. So, yeah, not a native individual then. It's a... Somebody's pet, this guy. I don't know, or it was uploaded in Germany. I honestly don't know. Very good. Mossy frogs, though. They're from Vietnam area. North North Vietnam. Okay, so like... Next to the Gulf of Tonkin. Southeast Asian. Yeah. Hmm. Very good. Very good. Well, yeah, nice to think about the mossy frog. Anyway, before we uh, barrel roll into our paper for this episode we're up on episode 181 this is herpetological highlights i'm tom major co-hosting with me ben marshall as you just heard another unsuccessful guest at frog call <laughs> we're still on two each despite many years of effort <laughs> it's a stupidly difficult thing to do there's no Neither discernible trace of improvement and vocalizations either so it's 
And also, yeah, want, you know, the only hope is that we'll remember one we've already heard, but we're never going to have the yeah, same we'll never one do any Although... repeats. And also the names are so... There's so many different frogs out there. Yeah. But we also don't make any effort to keep a list of what we have done. So in the fullness of time, there will eventually come a There'll time be a where we repeat. do the same one again and we won't realise. But yeah, I'd be interested to know if anyone who listens along gets these. I can't imagine that many people do. But we've said this before. If you tell us you do, we won't believe you anyway. We'd need it like filmed live by some kind of independent geek. I reckon, I reckon people have got a few of them. Yeah, maybe some. Definitely. Probably some real. Definitely. Probably some real, some real eggheads listen to this podcast. But yeah, let's move on. Let's move on to our main paper for this week. So this is a paper by guys Garcia Elfring, Sabin, Lushmanov, Rafi, Samudra, Alcala, Osman, Lauderdale, Hendry, Menke and Barrett, published in 2023. Piebaldism and chromatophore development in reptiles are linked to the TFEC gene. This was published in Current oh, yeah, Biology. Oh, my favourite genes. TFEC. Hmm. Yes, me too. I like TFEC ever since I heard of it this morning. And uh, yeah, Royal Python, Python Regius. We're talking about the Royal Python or as our friends across the pond are want to call it. The bull python. Hearing an English person say bull python is like hearing someone say trash or male. It's not what we would normally say. It sounds strange to us. It's like someone thanking you by saying, I appreciate you. It's like, are you thanking me? I'm not sure. It's an Americanism. <laughs> yeah. So why are they called bull pythons? Because, Ben... Oh, you, you, you've got me there. You've got me there, Ben. <laughs> you've got me there. I did not realise. How on earth did you make that connection that the mossy frog and the royal python both roll into bulls? How did you... I didn't. How did this come about? Is that a coincidence? It's a complete coincidence. That's crazy to me. That's absolutely crazy to me. What a weird coincidence. So, so they yeah, roll up in like, the bulls when they're scared, do they? You never see one do it. It's kind of adorable. And then, like, yeah. roll down a hill. They, d- as far as I know, they don't roll down hills. But never say never. There is that cartwheeling snake from Malaysia. Oh, that's what it's called. Might have been what I had in the back of my mind. Yeah. Yeah, but no. Royal pythons, when they curl up in a ball, they generally just like tuck their head inside their coils, mm-hmm. and then they just kind of like puff out the body to protect the head, really. And they've got quite fat little tails. It's not like you know, like a. A sand boa tail where it's going to be a sort of distraction but yeah the to protect the head thing is a major defense that gives them the name ball python and it is also pretty cute when they do that and they are just pretty cute animals okay. in general so next question why are they called royal pythons well i mean that is a spin-off of the scientific name regius mm-hmm. i don't know why they're called royal pythons do you know why no i don't again i'm continuing to answer ask questions in absolute ignorance different ideas there's an article here about in reptiles magazine different ideas surround their origin of these common names but apparently some african cultures worship snakes so it could be that okay yeah oh apparently their queen cleopatra may have worn a python around her wrist as a bracelet a little one i guess yeah maybe um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, pretty, you know, I mean, obviously very popular pet. They come in lots of different colours, native to Western Sub-Saharan Africa. Most people will know what they are. I think because of all these pattern mutations, you know, you can get them in hundreds of different colours, both pattern and um, 
color variations. And it's the genetic basis of one of these kind of interesting mutations that this paper is about. We're talking about piebald royal pythons. I've got to be so careful not to say ball pythons now. Well, now you've made a thing of it. Yeah, I mean, I... Yeah, I made a thing of it, I know. Uh, Yeah, so royal pythons, piebald. I mean, like, if you've seen one of these snakes, you'll know they are, like, insanely cool looking. They're really striking. It's a kind of mostly normal coloration, but then with patches of white, like pure, brilliant white on the body. And, yeah, it makes for a very, very very interesting looking creature the white patches are quite variable you can have like low white or high white and in humans like you know patches of white on occur on a lot of animals um, in humans it's known as leucoderma or vitiligo vitiligo is slightly different because piebaldism is like presumably a genetic mutation uh, as it's sort of heritable really clearly heritable and you're born with it whereas vitiligo which humans can get is a is an autoimmune disease where antibodies attack and destroy pigment containing cells called melanocytes and that leads to patches of uh, no pigment on the skin which sort of just look really white but yeah so for this paper they were investigating royal pythons and this was a team of researchers led by mcgill university and they used various methods like yes whole genome sequencing some gene editing some electron microscopy microscopy and they're studying the color variations and patterns in the skin of captive bred piebald royal pythons. And um, yeah, should we just talk about, I, I don't think we need to go too far into the methods. We can talk about the oh, gene editing. please, let's avoid the methods at all costs because yes. uh, quite frankly, I don't understand very much of it. No, I mean, yeah, I've Broad been doing a bit of genetic stuff. Is... And even though it's fresh in my mind, this stuff's still confusing. Yeah. But, you know, and I think it's suffice to say that they pinpointed a specific gene, known as TFEC, right. that not only influences reptile pigmentation in general, but also apparently plays a key role in color variations seen in vertebrates. And, uh, yeah, the influence on royal pythons is characterized by these distinctive white blotches. Essentially, they looked at a bunch of snakes that had piebaldism and didn't and identified this difference in the gene. And they're like, OK, there's a correlation here between yes. this coloration and this gene variant, this mutation. Yep. That suggests that maybe the piebald gene is caused by this mutation. How can we take that one step further? All right, let's take that gene mutation and we'll use CRISPR to put it in a different creature. And they chose an anole. They picked the anole too because it's the only reptile that CRISPR's been used effectively on. So it wasn't just like, we've got some anoles lying around. It was a <laughs> a purposeful practicality choice because you don't want to do something uh, mammalian because you're trying to look at these reptile genes that may be different from mammalian genes for basically expressing the same trait or color morph yeah so brown yep. anole was the model system they picked yeah to, to crisper to crisper this piebald like color mutation gene into which is into nuts. a new animal it's absolutely insane it feels super like sci-fi and yeah the brown anole anolis sagriae sagriae yeah they plonked it in there and um it had an effect on the lizard. It didn't modify the lizard in exactly the same way. So the but genetically it modified, it did make a difference. So in royal pythons, this um, modification to the TFEC gene, this nonsense mutation, creates patches of white. In the brown anole, it's slightly different. It does lead to modification of the cells responsible for producing color. In the brown anole, it ends in hypopigmentation. So that's reduced pigmentation. So they don't have white patches, but they just have generally less brown pigmentation on the body. So they kind of look a bit sort of pale, ghostly. The other interesting effect, because that is an impact on the melanophores, which are the kind of dark pigments containing cells. It also affects iridophores, which are 
a kind of they don't produce color but they produce a kind of it makes things reflective right so it's like iridescenciness right yeah it's iridescency it's yeah. reflective and if you remove it it can make things appear darker because they're not as reflective right and so what they found was that in the f1 hatchlings these iridescent iridophores which are reflective the lack of them makes the eyes appear dark in the uh, royal pythons so there's this other effect of the uh, the t-effect gene as well you just said f1 hatchlings f1 hatchlings yeah. are the offspring so they had f0 that was the crispr mutant lizards and then the f1 hatchlings are the offspring of those original crispr individuals yes right yeah 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 and i think which also I shows that... that this has a you know the genetic component which is hereditable Yes, yeah. The iridophores thing, that was actually in the annals, not the piebald. Yes, pythons, it hasn't been right? ID'd in the, in the pythons. That's one of the things they say in the discussion is that they need a follow-up study to identify um, what's being removed or added in the white sections of the pythons, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. A so specific a scan, bit, they yeah. were saying. I forget exactly what it was called. But yeah, piebald. TEM imaging is what they were saying. TEM imaging. I was just wondering if um, piebald pythons had dark eyes. It's not something I've ever really given any thought to. Uh, Maybe. Maybe. But maybe they would have mentioned it. But yeah, what a beautiful, crazy looking snake. Insane. Love them. Yeah, really excited to see this paper. And, you know, they make the point in this paper that... Captive reptiles, because there are all these color mutations, you have this massive stock. There's stuff at Bangor going on to do with this as well. One of mm-hmm. my supervisors, John Mully, has done some stuff with his students to do with corn snakes and the sun-kissed mutation, because the sun-kissed mutation has some negative consequences. Yeah, star trying to understand. That's right. That's right, yeah. They just can't yeah. get enough of the stars, which is obviously not ideal if you're trying to survive. You keep looking at the sky for no reason. Which is what a nerve system issue, right? Right, yeah. Stargazing, yeah, I imagine they, so. they sort of can't write themselves, is so i think that might be it in a more extreme form that is like the non-writing thing i don't know that brings me to mind of like spider royal pythons which is another mutation which causes them to have like neurological defects right which are really extreme they like turn upside down and stuff my friend had one they he got he rescued it and like when you fed the snake it would like start wobbling around all over the place yeah which is kind of like obviously a pretty major issue if you're in the wild well and probably a pretty major issue if you're captive too because it's <laughs> suggested that yeah. you've got some pretty problematic yeah. co-mutations with your uh color morphs yeah and that is that spider gene is something which is like um i think hobbyists are kind of self-selecting against that just because it's like frowned upon people Good. are like why did you make that i mean it, it doesn't take around. much to look at something like i don't know dog genetics to see that if you just continue down the route of pure aesthetics you create abominations that have a really <laughs> but tough how living. exciting <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty crazy it's pretty crazy you see the skull of like a pug or something you just yeah like, what have we done? maybe don't make the same mistake again guys yeah anyway so uh Poor you know they make the point that there's this whole you know there's so many populations of captive animals that could be really useful for various studies i find them really interesting in terms of the like isolation of populations and genetic bottlenecks and how they can respond to that and the kind of consequences of that because there are a lot of parallels between captive populations genetically speaking and introduced animals and also um like isolated rare species and stuff so yeah i feel like this is something which is really great that they've sort of taken the time to do and collaborate 
in that world and hopefully there'll be more of that coming because yeah it is a huge pool of expertise and resource that is like underutilized so yeah i do want to dial back my abomination comment and i'm not suggesting that pugs are abominations but they probably shouldn't have existed to begin with i don't want to be insulting anybody's wonderful pug out there yeah i mean they're the most endearing hilarious abominations of all yes that's (laughs) and the way they breathe is equal parts (laughs) tragic and hilarious (laughs) okay so i haven't got anything else about royal pythons here have you anything else to add on the uh pigmentation just to Um, say in do you know what a piebald horse is is it's quite specific piebald is what black and white skewbald is brown and white Oh, my guy knows his horse colorations. Yeah, correct. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's probably a different gene because apparently if you modify the TFEC gene in mice, which is the one which causes the problems or the, the whiteness in royal pythons, if you modify it in mice, it doesn't affect their coat. So it could be that uh, different mutation is causing the, uh, the, the color in horses. Yeah, which is really intriguing, isn't it? Because that sort of suggests that there's sort of different colour determining genes in reptiles versus mammals, which I suppose makes sense when you've got mammals just having this one pigment related I don't know what you call it, is it a cell type? What is a chromatophore? Yeah, yeah, it's a colour producing cell. Colour producing cell, whereas reptiles have multiple going on so I suppose it does make sense that different genes are going to be involved but yeah, I feel like I'm so used for examples to be like, oh look, it's the same gene in all of vertebrates isn't that yeah. cool? It's kind of intriguing to see that it's different here. Mm, yeah. Reptiles more complicated than mammals, as it turns out, in this case. Seems to be in this in this regard, yeah. Well, that's it, I think. Really cool snakes. Great to see a paper about them. Um, yeah, nice to see some pictures of royal pythons with cool, crazy colours in the paper as well. Have you got any other business for this episode, Ben? I do have a little bit of any other business. I have a paper which... We sort of decided wasn't enough for a full a full episode, but is worth mentioning. And it's by Chavin and Borker on uh, observations of cooperative fishing, use of bait for hunting, propensity for marigold flowers, and the sentient behaviour of mugger crocodiles. Now, a while ago, we had a paper that we talked about mugger crocodiles putting sticks on their faces and backs in an attempt to lure in uh, birds desperate for nesting material only to uh, grab them at the last second, basically using sticks as sort of camouflage cross potential bait for for nesting birds. This is a little bit of a further report on that. Basically, it's happening in other places with different mugger crocodiles. Same species, but different place. But a couple of observations I wanted to describe to you. One was this potential for cooperative fishing, where three or four mugger crocodiles will swim in circles, almost like... (laughs) It's a little bit vague what's going on because the water's so murky, so they can't see specifics, but it seems like they're sort of swimming in circles to gather or sort of herd fish into a sort of fish kill zone. You know how whales do that with with the bubbles and then one shoots up and grabs them all? It Mm. It gives me similar sort of vibes to that but potentially less well documented. And I've seen this a few times with these mugger crocodiles where they're creating this sort of fish whirlpool and then the uh, mugger crocodiles are popping out out of the whirlpool with fish in their mouths. So it's pretty pretty sort of vaguely reported, but it's 
kind of super interesting too. So that sounds wild. I mean, like, right? You know, crocodiles are thought of as like. I mean, you know, they do have all that social behavior when they're looking after their young. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's actually not that big of a leap to think that they might collaborate in other ways as well. But it's just so far from how we've been perceiving these animals for so long that you just think, what? Like they're working together to create a fish whirlpool. Like I need to see a video. I feel like to actually truly believe this. Yeah, so I can't find any videos. The images are here, but I couldn't find any videos. Okay. And uh, was there something about them and marigold flowers as well, which sounds quite charming? Oh yeah. I was going to skip over the marigold flower one, to be honest, because it's just that sometimes they're near. So marigolds are used often floating debris in this river system. They come from like burial rites and stuff like that, I believe is what they say. I'm trying to just double check that that's what it is. But basically marigolds end up in the river through various means. And there's meant to be that marigolds have an antibacterial properties or antimicrobial properties. So maybe the crocodiles are hanging around the marigolds for those benefits. But I feel like that's kind of a leap with just them being viewed, seen near marigolds. Um, yeah. The fact that that's in there makes the story about them fishing a bit less compelling. <laughs> like what? That one's a bit of a stretch, the marigold one. The, the fishing one, I find more convincing. There's also some other examples from other species that might be similar. So... Oh, yeah. Oh, great. Well, I hope we see more about that. That'd be super awesome. The final one, which is perhaps an even greater leap, but is an intriguing story, is that there's a bunch of feral dogs that hang around this area that are both eaten by the crocodiles, but also just sort of hang around and stay with the basking crocodiles and seem to just be chill at times. And there's this instance where a younger dog is being chased by a pack of feral dogs and it runs into the river to get away from them. The mugger crocodiles, three of them, I think it is, approach said dog, which is hiding in the water away from feral dogs that have refused to enter the river and proceed to nudge and push the dog that's in the river to a part of the bank away from the other dogs and to apparent safety. Wow, that's quite cool. But why? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I That's don't know. wild. It could be anything. It could be just, you know, general sort of non-useful play behavior. It could be genuine cross-species emotional empathy. It could be they were trying to eat him but failed miserably and just happened to push it out of the bank. I don't know. I mean, like... <laughs> I can't imagine it's the last one because I would have thought a mugger crocodile wanting to eat a dog could eat a dog. Especially free, I mean, like, they're free adult mugger crocodiles. They're not small crocs yeah they're no joke man they could wreck any dog but instead they yeah. push it out of the river or onto the bank and away it goes this is the kind of thing that joe rogan will take to be direct evidence of between species empathy to be fair how else would it look <laughs> i don't know yeah 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 i mean it does look like that it sounds like that i'd love to see uh see a video i really would love to know what was going on in the minds of these crocodiles i'll quickly send you the images just so you're yeah. You've got maximum information here. All right. There you go. Let's see here. I'm assuming the golden dog is the dog that was fleeing, and the black and white dog on the bank is the problematic chasing dog, which subsequently gets. Oh, that's a bully dog for sure. Scared off. <laughs> 
I mean, a dog in the water does not seem perturbed by the crocodiles either, but it also might be exhausted. Yeah, it looks a bit perturbed, I would say. There's not a lot. Is this the entire imagery? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, this doesn't really show anything except for the fact there's at least two crocodiles, three crocodiles in the water and a dog and another dog. But yeah, really crazy, <laughs> compelling. Like, they saw that and that's yeah. crazy. And nudged it towards the bank. Yeah, wow, mad. Yeah, like you say, maybe they were playing, maybe they were, maybe they were helping, maybe they were helping, you know. I mean, yeah, like my gut tells me they wouldn't have just been helping, but then again, like dolphins do it. Yeah, seals do it. That's exactly sort of the point, isn't it? Is you, there's not really enough evidence to go one way or another, but it does sort of open some weird questions into what they were doing and how crocodiles, you know, think and, and consider things. Mm, yeah you know they do have it in their dna to care about their offspring and worry that they're getting in and out of the water so it's not like it's a behavior which is completely alien to them yeah wow very nice that's great really cool oh man i'd love to see someone like better characterize the behavior of the hunting as well because that sounds like that is definitely some kind of collusion between crocodiles which would be so fun I, I really don't know how you do that because of the murkiness of the water. To get good imagery, you'd need really fine-scale accelero- accelerometer data and then sort of reconstruct yeah. the path. That'd and that be... would get you something. That would be... All right, then. Well, let's maybe write a grant about that because that okay. sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sweet. Well, uh, yeah, Ace, good stuff. So, yeah, we got Royal Pythons and their pieable gene affected by a nonsense mutation of... TFEC, our new favorite gene. That also works really in nice anoles, but in a different way. Works on anoles in a different way. Yeah, I nearly said anoles. Uh, <laughs> that's a benism. Yeah, I feel like... I don't think we've got much else to add, have we? Other than to say... Uh, no? Thanks for sort of thanks for listening, and we're on social media. You can get in touch with us through herphighlights at gmail.com. Uh, big ups to all our patrons for supporting the podcast. You can at patreon.com slash herphighlights. We also have merchandise, links in the description. You can buy a cool t-shirt. And yeah. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs>